Good morning, everybody. So today is the official beginning of our Advent series, The Wonder of Christmas. Like usual, I want to kick it off by talking today about praying for the lost people God has placed in our lives. So this is one of my favorite subjects because it always stimulates me personally. It always encourages me so much about praying more. And because it's also just a reminder of the amazing power of prayer. So that's where we're going today. I'm going to be quoting many passages of Scripture uh, across the Word of God to help us make this important connection between prayer and sharing our faith. So we need to see sort of the full sweep today. That's where we're going. Let's begin with this. Why pray for the lost? Why? And I want to offer you four reasons why. First, we should pray for the lost because of God's heart. Because of God's heart for lost people. It motivates us to pray. The greatest verse in all of the Bible reveals God's heart of love for those who don't yet know him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 Even people who don't know the Bible are familiar with that verse. Far fewer, however, know the following verse, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's heart is to save people, to save the world. Those two verses tell us that love motivated God to send Jesus Christ into the world, and his purpose was to rescue the world through his death and resurrection. Then in 1 Timothy 2, it tells us even more about God's heart. It says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all people to be saved and to know the truth about him, to experience salvation. And as I read those verses, they seem to have no limit at all. Let there be no doubt about God. God loves the world. He truly wants all people to know him and to come to faith in Christ, his son. Why pray for the lost? First, because it's God's heart. Second, we should pray for the lost because of Christ's sacrifice. Because of Christ's sacrifice. Jesus came to earth for lost people. This is how he put it in Luke 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus died on the cross to provide the way of salvation for the entire human race. In 1 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul write about, writes about it like this, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. We pray for people because of God's heart for them. Secondly, because of Christ's sacrifice for them. And third, we should pray for the lost because of the example of Scripture. And we're specifically looking at Paul's example, but Jesus prayed for the lost as well. But in Romans 10, the Apostle Paul reveals his heart for the, his Jewish friends and his neighbors and his relatives. There he wrote this. He said, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Sometimes people say, well, I don't see any examples in Scripture of people praying for lost people. There absolutely is. And this is one of them. Paul's love and concern for his fellow Jews moved him to pray for their salvation. And we should do the same. We should do the same. 
Fourth, we should pray for the lost because of their condition. Because of their condition. The New Testament in many places reveals how hopeless and how helpless the lost are without salvation. It tells us, first of all, that they're blind. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 4.4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to, whoops, there we go, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They're blinded by the enemy. It also tells us that they're lost, that the lost are condemned. John 3.18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So friends, let that sink in for just a minute. That is the destiny of lost people. They're condemned. What does that mean? Well, that means they're headed for hell. If you love someone, you will do anything and everything you can to keep them from that destiny and to get the good news to them. The Bible also reminds us that the lost are helpless. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Unless the Father who sent him sent me draws him. And that's why you can talk to a person until you are blue in the face sometimes and it seems like it does no good. So what's the answer? Okay, without divine intervention, it does no good. What's the answer? We must pray for God to intervene, that God would open their eyes, that God would give them ears to hear and understand, that God would give them a hunger for Jesus, to know him, to be forgiven by him. In short, we must fervently pray that God will go before us, otherwise our efforts will be in vain. And may God break our hearts for the condition of the lost people that he has placed in our lives. So with that as a background, we come now to the central question today. If the lost are truly in need of our prayers, and they are, then how should we pray for them? How should we pray? The answer really comes in two parts. First, we should pray for ourselves, for Christians, to speak to the lost. And secondly, we should pray for the lost that God might do a mighty work in them. So first of all, let's pray for ourselves as we speak to the lost. And there's three specific ways I'd encourage you, encourage me to pray for them, to pray for us. First, let's pray for boldness. Let's pray for boldness for ourselves. Paul says this very clearly in Ephesians 6. He says, and pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So, that, so one reason that Paul's ministry was so fruitful was because of the prayer support he often asked for and then received from others. I think we've all been in those situations at times where we sort of got close to sharing our faith and maybe chickened out later regretted it. Uh, maybe we were intimidated or worried about what someone would think. Maybe we got afraid of, of making someone mad or just suddenly a little shy. We've all been there. It's probably happened to all of us, which is why I believe we need to pray for ourselves that God would give us courage. That word bold implies a freedom of speech, that we wouldn't be timid, that we'd go ahead and speak with God's help, with Holy Spirit boldness. 
Second, let's pray for opportunities. Let's pray for opportunities to speak up. We need to pray that God would create an opening where none exists or it seems like none exists. And here's how Paul puts it in Colossians 4. He said, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That God may open to us a door for the word. And of course that applies to our, our, our family members and our friends. It applies to uh, our job situations, our, our schoolmates. When no opportunity seems apparent to share our faith, we should pray, God, open up the door for me. Let, let that teacher ask a question that I can respond to, and so on. Pray for opportunities. Third, let's pray for clarity. Pray for clarity. Paul mentions that in the very next verse. He said this, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Clarity means presenting the truth in such a way that it makes sense to those who hear it. So we're, we're praying, Lord, help me to speak your truth so that Others will understand what I'm talking about. So let's start by praying for ourselves. That's where we need to, to start. But let's not stop there. Because we also need to pray for the lost. We need to pray for that person who needs the good news. And three specific things I suggest you pray for them as well. First, let's pray for receptive hearts. For receptive hearts. Listen to Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The king's heart is in the Lord's hands. And so is the heart of your friend, or your son or your daughter, or your granddaughter, your grandson, your grandparent, your neighbor, whoever it is that you're concerned about, their heart is in the hand of the Lord. And only God can truly get their attention when it comes to spiritual things. So this past week I received a story in my inbox from our friend Tom Doyle, the author of Dreams and Visions. Uh, you might remember Tom came here a couple of years ago and he spoke to us. Uh, we have, have encouraged you to read his books, Dreams and Visions and Killing Christians. And uh, Tom is the founder of a ministry in the Middle East called Uncharted. And I share this story today because it's a great illustration of God's power to move in people's hearts. So the story is about a couple that Tom's team recently met. Their names are Dina and Muhammad Haddad. They were residents of Aleppo, which used to be the largest city in Syria. However, due to the civil war in Syria, it's no longer the largest city. Many, many have fled because of the war and because of all the persecution. So here's the story in their words. Dina looked out the front window of her home in Aleppo and her heart sank. It was what she had feared all day. Dina's husband was home. Muhammad walked angrily up to the front door and slammed it shut with all his might. It was going to be another night of terror in the house. He didn't say a word, but he had the look. Dina had grown accustomed to the look and the rage behind it that emanated from his whole, whole being. My husband's contorted face could clear out a room in seconds. And by the time the door slammed, our two children were already hiding in their bedrooms. I dared to ask him a simple question. Muhammad, before I run down to the market to get some nice, fresh, hot pita bread, is, is, is that okay with you? 
do, you have, do I have your permission? I never saw his fist coming at me, but when it hit me on the side of the head, I fell and hit the other side of my head on the kitchen sink. A few minutes later, I came to and felt the blood pouring out of my nose. The beatings were not daily, but almost. How did I marry such a vicious monster? With all my might, I endured the abuse, praying that Allah would keep Muhammad from turning his evil temper on our precious children. They didn't deserve a home like this. No one did. And all the time, Muhammad justified his evil, drunken violence with verses from the Quran. What a religion we have. Are women just born to be slaves, punching bags, and baby machines? Is that our lot in life? My husband was rich and did whatever he wanted. His three businesses thrived, and he was also a faithful leader at the mosque in Aleppo. He and the imam were as close as brothers, and that all worked, of course, to his benefit. His frequent payments were kindly accepted by the imam to cover his schemes. My husband, Muhammad, was also a sex addict, and over the first years of our marriage, he had many affairs. He would tell me about each one and even arranged for the imam to call them a temporary marriage. How I hated him. It was my passion in life to one day leave him forever. This would be my ultimate revenge to take our children and never let him see them again. Muhammad was a jihadist. He despised all Syrian government officials and lived for the day that he could do something heroic for all Sunni Muslims. He wanted to kill President Assad. Little did he know that my hatred for him was so deep that the only jihad that I could think of was within my own home. I wanted to kill him. Muhammad put his side of the story like this. But then something happened one night. It changed everything. Jesus came to me in a dream and told me that I was on the wrong path and that he loved me. How could he love me? My own wife didn't love me. I thought it was some kind of hallucination and that that would be the end of that. But Jesus kept coming to me. More dreams, more love, more confusion on my part. So I decided to find a Bible. I'd heard about the book and I had to get one for myself. I'm sorry to say that I stole one out of a church. I started to read one night when Dina went to sleep and the words on the page did something deep in my heart. I read the Bible late at night for months while I hid it from her. In the midst of the war that raged around us, Jesus was coming to me in dreams and I was finding comfort in the word of God. I decided to take the next step. I dared to go to a church I made sure that no one was watching, and I quietly went in. I was overwhelmed by the love I felt in that room, and from total strangers, too. I never heard words like that in my life. How could Jesus forgive me? Anyone but me. My evil heart was so dark. I beat my wife mercilessly. I degraded her by all the other women in my life and used to brag about it to her then excused myself by quoting from the Quran to justify my sin. But Jesus saw right through it. When I read the Gospels and saw how Jesus talked to the Pharisees, it was as if he was speaking to me alone. 
And yet this amazing Jesus was willing to forgive me anyway. After a year of reading the Bible and going to Bible studies, I couldn't stand it any longer. I repented and I gave my life to Jesus. I wept for all my sins. The first person I wanted to tell was dear Dina. Could she ever begin to forgive me? Dina says, well, Muhammad, you've done it this time. You're forgiven. Great. How convenient is that? For all the misery that you've caused me, and I'm supposed to just look the other way. Never. I will never forgive you. How could I blame Dina, he says. I deserved it, all of it. But then Jesus took over. I prayed that God would make me a good husband, a real husband like I read about in the New Testament, and he did. I fell in love with Dina, and I would even pray before dinner to Jesus. I would always thank him for Dina and for our two wonderful children. For eight months, I invited her to go to church with me, and she would just say, no. But one day I invited her, and she said, I'm ready. It took Dina about a year before she found her way to Jesus. It was a day I will never forget. She was finally free, and she was also able to forgive me. She loves Jesus with her whole heart now, and she smiles all the time. Dina says, I was able to forgive Muhammad only because Jesus forgave me first. In my own strength, I could not control the bitterness inside me. I could not forgive but Jesus gave me the power to forgive. When I did forgive Muhammad, he told me that he loved me. He had never said those words to me before. He told me that he loved me over and over, and then he smiled and told me that he loved me and just me alone. Muhammad and Dina, by the way, are now refugees in Lebanon. Muhammad lost his businesses and the imam that he was closer than a brother to has now called for his death. Both Dina's parents and Muhammad's have done the same. But the Haddad's both say that they are ready to die for Christ. And that they expect to be martyred someday because they love Jesus now and they have left Islam. The heart of the unsaved is often closed and hardened against God. And of course, this is probably the most extreme example you could ever give. So I realize many hearts are not like that. But beloved, we need to pray to God to give them receptive hearts. Receptive hearts. And then we should also pray for conviction of sin. For the conviction of sin in their lives. Until a person sees his true condition... He has no reason to come to Christ to be saved, to be forgiven. Jesus tells us that conviction is the unique work of the Holy Spirit. Here's how we put it in John 16. And when he, that's the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So we need to pray that God's Spirit will break through the sinner's heart and give him the desire to cry out to God for forgiveness. Finally, let's also pray for a life transformed by the gospel. A life that is transformed by the gospel. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
True conversion leads to total transformation. When Jesus comes into a person's life, he changes everything. So let's ask God to work mightily so that people will be radically transformed from the inside out. God would change their lives. Those are some suggestions from scripture about how we can pray for the lost. But beloved, I'm, I'm not convinced that the real issue is with the lost here. God knows how to deal with sinners. He knows how to get their attention. God's biggest problem, if you could put it that way, is not with the unsaved, it's with us. I think it's with us. That's God's biggest problem. When you pray for the lost, remember, you're not trying to convince God of anything. He's already convinced. He already understands the lost should be saved. He takes no pleasure in the death of sinners, the prophet Ezekiel wrote. God truly already desires that all should come to repentance. So we can pray with confidence, asking God to do whatever is necessary that the lost would find Christ. That's God's plan for, for reaching our world. We pray, he works. But experience suggests that, that praying for the lost takes time. It, it takes endurance on our part. It, we need to have a long-term perspective. In other words, we need to give God time to work and, and not despair when we don't see quick results. Friend, Jesus understands our tendency to sort of give up, to lose heart easily when it comes to prayer. And I think that's one of the reasons why he addressed it numerous times in the parables. Listen to his words in Luke chapter eight, uh, 11. Luke 11, Jesus said, Which of you who has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, loan me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. The key word I want you to think about with me is that word impudence, which is an old word for persistence or perseverance or, or just stick to How is your impudence, your persistence when it comes to praying for other people? I believe that's our biggest problem, our lack of prayerfulness. Well, where should we begin in applying this message? Here's some practical suggestions. And I put them in answer, as an answer to the question, what is our church's strategy for praying for the lost? Or what's our church's uh, strategy for reaching people? First one is this. The emphasis of the New Testament is on corporate prayer. So the opposite of private prayer is corporate prayer, coming together and praying together. See, the early church was birthed out of a 10-day prayer meeting in an upper room in Jerusalem. And in the book of Acts, as we read through the early chapters, we see an early church devoted to prayer. They gathered in homes to pray together. Acts 2 puts it like this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The early church turned the world upside down because of their devotion to these things, including corporate prayer. 
One day later on, Peter was arrested for preaching about Christ and he was put in prison. Remember, Herod had just uh, killed James for the same thing. And so he saw that pleased people and he arrested Peter as well and put him in prison. And so the church responded how? In prayer. Acts 12.5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And God sent an angel and delivered Peter from prison in answer to their prayers. Listen to what happened next. This is Acts 12.12. When Peter, when he realized this, he went, that it was true that he was free. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So he goes, he finds the church gathered in Mary's home and tells them that he's free. And of course, what happened? They didn't believe him at first. The early church had developed a culture of corporate prayer. And we need it as well. We need that as well. Secondly, small groups are a key aspect of our strategy. Because we are a church of small groups and a church that values prayer... We have purpose that all of our small groups put a strong priority on prayer. And so I want to say thank you again to all of our small groups and small group leaders in particular for keeping prayer a priority. Special thanks to the small groups that have already made arrangements to come to the concert of prayer together today or one of the next uh, uh, few days of prayer uh, this week. It is such a powerful thing for us to do together. So small groups are another key part of our outreach strategy as a church. And that brings us to number three. Prayer focus groups are also a key aspect of our strategy. Prayer focus groups. So each week here at Lake City, we have prayer groups that meet and they pray over a specific focus. Hence the name, right? So we have one on the sanctity of human life and another one that prays for marriages and another one that prays for uh, women's ministry. There's act actually eight such groups. Most of them meet once a month, but some of them meet weekly. All eight of them are listed in your bulletin each week, so you can easily find them there and when they meet. And two of these groups pray for our adopted, unreached people groups. And our goal is to have 100 people praying regularly for the Tamajic people of Niger and also praying regularly for our unreached people groups that we've just recently adopted in Dagestan. And again, prayer is the key to reaching these lost people groups. Listen to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 says this, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Friends, that is a powerful verse because here God is giving us an invitation to each one of us. Look at what he says. In fact, one translation puts it this way. Ask of me and I will give you the nations. Remember what the Bible means by nations. The word is a reference to ethnic groups. God literally is asking us to partner with him to reach the unreached ethnic people groups of the world. And all over the world, God is moving among particular ones with an explosion of new believers. So we have unreached people groups in two countries that we have committed to pray for and to help support outreach in. And our desire is that each of you, each person who comes to Lake City Community Church, commit themselves to praying for at least one of these unreached people groups. If you want to know more about that, sign on your communication card, your yellow card today, and say, tell me more, and we'll be glad to send you some more information. 
or that it's that important to us. Number four is prayer events. Prayer events are also a key part of our strategy. So every year at Easter and every year at Christmas, we hold these special prayer events like we are today. These are seasons of the year when people are especially open to an invitation to church. Today, our concert of prayer is going to be right after this service. It begins with a free lunch. We're going to walk over to the gym. We have a free lunch being prepared for you right now. And then after that, about 30 minutes later, we'll come back here and uh, pray for all of our upcoming Christmas outreach services. The concert of prayer is for all ages. So everyone's invited. We do provide child care for the younger children. So when we get back over here, it'll be about 1 o'clock. We're going to sing a couple of songs. We're going to divide into three short prayer sessions. They're guided prayer sessions, so we'll have PowerPoint you know, bullets of things to pray for. Makes it real easy. Time goes super fast. And it's such a fun and encouraging time. By the way, if you're not comfortable praying out loud in a group, please come anyway and just silently pray in your heart along with the rest of us. So I especially want to encourage you today, if you haven't tried coming to our concert of prayer before, please join us today. You will be blessed. And then we also have the five more hours of prayer corporate prayer plan. The times are all in your bulletin today. So they're Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday mornings at 10, and Monday and Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Those prayer times will be right out there in our new gathering area. We're going to gather and have some hot drinks and eat some Christmas cookies and then pray together. We'll have some tables set up in a circle or a square, and we'll sit around the tables and pray. So we'll pray for the prayer cards that you're going to fill out in just a minute, and I'll explain that to you in just a minute. Uh, So this Christmas prayer outreach is very important. And then number five there on your notes is invest in the lives of the people God places in your life. Invest in their lives. And here's a suggestion, five simple steps how to do that. Number one, and I forgot to put this one, so you're going to have to add this one. (laughs) Of all to forget, right? Make a prayer list and pray daily. Make a prayer list and pray daily for your friends. Every year during the Christmas season, we pass out our invite and invest cards. They look like this. Most of you are familiar with these. And they should be on the chairs on one end of the uh, rows or the other. So if you would, grab those cards at this time, whoever's closest to them, and pick them up and pass them down your row. And you're going to, every person, please take one large one and one big one. So two cards per person, a big one and a little one and pass them down at this time. So on the back of the cards, it says this. These are the people God has placed in my life who need to know and follow Christ. I will pray for them daily and invite them to attend a Christmas service with me. So what we encourage you to do is fill out that card, put two, three, four, five names on that card, and then print your name. And help us by making the names legible. That would be super. We'd like to know who we're praying for. And then you're going to drop the big card in the offering bag at the end of the service. We encourage you to take the little card, have the same names on the little card so you're praying as well. Take this home as your reminder to pray daily for them. I encourage you to take the little card and put it on your bathroom mirror or dash of your car or on your com- tape it to your computer or someplace. You'll see it regularly and be reminded to pray. So make a prayer list. And pray daily. Number two, then, is work hard at becoming a genuine friend. A genuine friend. 
Praying is, is super important, but it's not the only thing, obviously. So we also need to be intentional in making friendships. Everybody is interested in friendship. So just be yourself, include other people in the things you enjoy doing. The point is, invest in those friendships. Here's number three. Make a meet a practical need in their life. Meet a practical need. So this isn't too complicated because when you begin praying for someone, God has a way of showing you ways you can serve them. God loves to give us opportunities to help people, to, to pray for people and to, to, to serve them. So whatever you notice that they need, whatever God puts on your heart, consider that a prompting from him to step in and help. Here's number four. Offer to pray for a pressing need in their life. Listen, most people appreciate an offer like that. Almost everyone is willing to have people pray for them, especially when they're in pain. So offer to pray for people and then be sure to follow through and pray for them. And finally, step five is to share the gospel with them or invite them to church. Be ready to be part of the answer to your own prayers, in other words. Sometimes when we pray for someone, we, what we kind of mean in our heart of hearts is something like this. Lord, send somebody else to share with them. But you know, God often doesn't work that way. And so as you pray for those that God has placed in your life, don't be surprised if God puts you in the position to be the one to share with them. Our Christmas events start next weekend. It's going to be a fantastic season of outreach here at Lake City again this year as we celebrate the wonder of Christmas. Friends, begin, begin by inviting somebody or include inviting someone to come with you to one of those services. So I want to close my sermon today with a story of how God used a friend to help reach one of my friends with the gospel. So this is a story about Wario. Let's see that picture, Wario. There's Wario in his University of Kentucky shirt. Wario, wave over there. He's over there to the side. Blessings, Wario. Thanks for being here. And he shared this story with me, and I asked for permission to share it with you. But Wario, I first met Wario in Ethiopia a few years ago. He was uh, one of the uh, helpers with uh, YWAM, Adoption Ministry of Ethiopia. He came along with, he goes with mission teams, obviously. Uh, that day, I think he was with the University of Kentucky. So... I don't know if you know it, but the University of Kentucky sends football, their football players over to Ethiopia every year to, to do mission work. And so Wario has a great relationship with the football team. Anyway, Wario's a translator. He, he works in many ways. God has gifted him to connect with people and to, and to, to minister to people. So here, here's his story that, that he uh, shared with me. My name is Wario, and I was born in Mega, Ethiopia. Mega is a town in southern Ethiopia near the border of Kenya. I had six brothers and four sisters in my family. But when I was six years old, my older brother took me to Kenya, and I grew up there in his home. Since my brother was a Muslim, he raised me also as a Muslim. I used to like going to the nearest Islamic center every weekday after school for lessons to learn more about Allah. We didn't have a lot of money in my brother's home, one day when I was in third grade, I needed two notebooks for my schoolwork. I knew if I didn't have them that I would be punished by my teacher. The night I needed to buy the notebooks, we didn't have any dinner, which was an indication that my brother's business had not done well that day. 
So I didn't ask him for money to buy the books. The following day I went to school and I was sitting by the soccer field watching my friends play as I waited for classes. I was filled with fear because of, of being punished for not having the notebooks. So I decided to pray and ask God. I remember telling God that he was the only one who could help me and after that simple prayer, I opened my hands and was shocked to see the exact change I needed. That day in third grade was the beginning of my encounters with God. I used to pray on my own after that, but I didn't become a Christian for a few more years. When I was in eighth grade, a Christian soccer team came to our school in Nairobi and played against us. It was a sports evangelism team, I learned. They asked me to play for them as well, and I joined the team. As a member of the team, I began going to the Monday devotions and then one of my friends on the team invited me to go to church with him. It was there at church one day that God was speaking to me strongly through the songs and through the preaching. I prayed to receive Christ that day in church. And praise God for that. Praise God for your friend who had the boldness to ask you to come with him. So Wario began uh, Southeastern University as a student there and as a ministry intern here at Lake City in September enjoyed getting to know him better and look forward to having him around for a long time. Wario will be out at the Southeastern University table in the foyer if you'd like to meet him or ask him any questions. And there's a couple of staff members from Southeastern that will be out there as well. In addition to the two uh, programs that Caleb mentioned earlier in the service, they have about five or six other uh, education programs as a university that I want to encourage you to consider looking into. Again, invited friend to come to church with you. You could be just so blessed to see how God uses that. I encourage you to pick up a pack of invite cards on your way out, right outside the doors on the round tables. There's packs of invite cards for you to give to friends at list times of our services. And then ask God to show you who he wants you to invite. But some of you I know have friends or family members who can't come to church or won't come to church. Maybe they don't even live in this area. So even better, just share your faith with them in person or over the phone. Or you can write them an email or write them a letter in a card about what Jesus means to you. This is the time of year that people are especially open to hearing the gospel. Well, let me wrap up with some next steps. Number one is this. I will pray daily for those on my prayer list. This is our main application today for each of us to make a prayer list and to pray daily for these people over the next month. So I'm asking you to make that commitment today. For the next four weeks, pray every day for the names you write on your card. If you're willing to do that, just mark box number one on your sermon notes. Next step number two is I will attend the concert of prayer today at 1230. So... This is one of the highlights of our church here at Lake City. Please come and join us. Just walk on over to the gym when the service is over. Next step three, I will attend at least one hour of prayer over the next three days. So we have five options to pick from. The times, again, are all in your bulletin. I encourage you to come and take in at least one of those. Next step four, I will help with Operation Good Neighbor on December 2nd. You can bake cookies, you can pass out, go door to door and pass out cookies, you can help us organize the events or the plates of cookies. So 
encourage you to do that. We're going to stop by. I'm going to have a letter in uh, to give with each plate of cookies, just thanking them for their patience and apologizing for any inconvenience we've caused. Finally, next step five, I will also devote myself to prayer by fill in the blank. Okay, whatever else the Holy Spirit puts on your heart, maybe it's to join one of the prayer teams or, or try out one of the prayer focus groups, please make the decision to intentionally take a step to grow in your prayer life. Finally, if you don't yet know Christ as your personal Savior, I just want to remind you today before we leave that God loves you. And God wants you to be saved. He wants you to be forgiven of your sins and to have the assurance that you will go to heaven someday. You know, forgiveness of sins is something that we can't earn. But we can receive it as a gift. It's a decision, though, that every single one of us must make. You don't have to understand everything, but you do have to ask God to forgive you and repent of your sins. And then he will help you understand more. So as we close in prayer right now, I'll give you an opportunity in just a minute to make that decision. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for uh, just giving us the opportunity to communicate with you and have a relationship with you and to have a part, a small part in seeing other people in our lives find hope and faith in Jesus. Father, thank you for the privilege of praying for the people in our lives who need a Savior. And God, I pray that you would break our hearts for their condition. I pray that you would give us your compassion and love for them. And I pray as a church family that you would grow us even stronger in prayer as a praying church. We thank you that you are a faithful God. We thank you for the gift of prayer and you're faithful to answer our prayers. And for the privilege of sharing in the mission of spreading the good news. And then as I close now, friend, if you're here and you've never yet taken that first step of faith, I, I encourage you to pray with me. Just silently in your heart of hearts, pray something like this. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be forgiven. I admit that I've sinned against you and I turn from my sin today and I ask you to forgive me in Christ. I put my faith in Jesus today, his death and resurrection for me. And I receive that gift today by faith. Father, we rejoice with those making that decision. And we thank you for the privilege of sharing that good news to others in our lives. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.